Good morning. It is so good to be here with you today. Years ago in my youth, I made a really big stupid mistake that I am still paying for to this day. I made the mistake of praying for patience. If you've never done that, I warn you that if you pray for patience, God won't give it to you. He'll give you a whole lot of opportunity to practice becoming patient. In my case, the opportunity he gave to me has a name, Elijah, Eden, and Ezra. And I am strained for patience quite often. But apparently my wife also made the same mistake at some point before I did because when she prayed for patience, God gave her me. And she has a whole lot that she needs to practice patience on. If you have any kids, perhaps you know what it's like. Or even if you don't have kids, a roommate or a friend, the one who's always running late. And you're like, I'm going to be there. I'm ready to go. It's time to go. And you have no idea where they are or what they're doing or why they're doing it. And they just continue to take what seems like an eternity to get anything done. Now, every now and then, especially Elijah, but all three of them sometimes really surprise me. I wake up in the morning, kind of rub my eyes. I go to wake them up to get them ready and start the day. And they're already dressed. They're already eating breakfast. They're well ahead of schedule and ready to go. But most of the time, I have to wait and wait and encourage and challenge and wait some more. And if you're anything like me, in the waiting, I become a really perfect and holy person. (laughs) Sorry, unholy person. Perfectly unholy person is what I meant to say. If you're anything like me, in the waiting, I find myself getting frustrated and irritable and prone to snap and prone to need forgiveness later. In the season of Advent, we are in a season of waiting. And sometimes the wait can be exhausting. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do the thing we thought He already would have done. We're saying, how long, O Lord, must we wait? How long until you finally fulfill those promises? How long, Lord? And the answer is just a little while longer. And so we wait. For the people of God, at the time of Christ's first coming, They were well acquainted with waiting for God's long-awaited promises. See, God had promised that He would send one who would redeem and rescue them. He promised that He would send one who would save them from their sin. And the word that, that we now use for salvation is also the same word that they make the word salve out of. A healing ointment, a healing balm. The people of God were desperately waiting this promise. When will you heal all of our wounds? All of our hurts and all of our brokenness, all of the evil done to us and done by us, when will you heal it and restore it, O Lord? And they weren't just waiting for a few days or weeks or years or decades. For 400 years they waited. And they waited and they waited. My patience runs short after about 42 seconds, usually after about four seconds when I have to repeat myself because it wasn't heard the first time. But for 400 years, they waited. 
And in their waiting, they began to get a different kind of idea of this promise God had made. Perhaps the problem was them. Perhaps what God was waiting for was for them to get all their mess and clean it up and to finally get it right. Perhaps the reason God was delayed in coming and saving them from their hurts and their wounds and bringing them new life, perhaps it's because they weren't yet worthy of it. And so in those 400 years, there arose this idea that if we, the people of God, for one singular day could get everything right and we could follow His law perfectly, if we did that for one singular day, God would return and permanently keep things perfect forever. All it takes is one day. So imagine, after 400 years of waiting, the pressure. We only need to get it right once. Today's the day. We'll finally do it. And imagine with that pressure, all the feelings that would arise from the people who keep screwing it up. Look, we're working really hard to get this right. Just tie your shoes so we can leave. We're working really hard to get out the door. Just put on your coat. Stop doing this and stop doing that for one day. That's all I'm asking. For one day. And imagine time and time again when all those other sinners keep breaking the law and doing the things they're not supposed to do. The hatred, the anger, the frustration for those who are causing the Lord to delay. It's your fault. If only you would get your stuff together, we could be out of here. So today, as we look at these parables of Jesus, Jesus speaks to this heart of the people. Jesus speaks to this heart that is eager for everybody just for one moment to stop sucking and get it right, please, just for a little bit. And in this context, right before, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he gives several parables of a wedding banquet. And each of these parables of the wedding banquet are really offensive because in every one of them, in some way or another, Jesus says, look, there was a great master, he was hosting a feast, and he invited people, and then the people he invited just kind of shrugged him off, and so he invited others. And those who first were invited were no longer invited, and that's the way the kingdom of God is. And so for all the people that had been waiting for 400 years for God to return, they hear this message of Jesus and say, what do you mean those who were first invited are not welcome? We certainly deserve that seat of honor. We certainly deserve to be in that place. We, of all people, have earned it. And then we get to the parables of today. In Luke chapter 15, if you want to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1091. If you have your own Bible, I don't know what page number it's on. I apologize, I've had a cough all week, so I'm going to work really hard not to cough today. So if I sound like I'm choking, I am, all right. 1,091. Here we go. <clears throat> Here's the context that Jesus speaks these parables in. Now the tax collectors and sinners 
we're all drawing near to him. Now, none of us like taxes, but for us, taxes are just a part of life in the same way that death is. Everybody has to do both, so deal with it, right? But for the Jewish people, the tax collectors were part of the problem because they were joyfully and willingly participating in serving the very enemy who was keeping God from coming. So the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. As if to say, if only this man would tell them, Stop sinning, you terrible sinners. Then maybe we could finally get what we've been hoping for and waiting for. And so Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, takes this moment and this opportunity to speak a really challenging truth for every one of us. Here's what he says in the first of three parables. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Perhaps you've heard this parable before, Jesus leaving the 99 for the sake of the one. And isn't that so sweet? Look how much Jesus loves us, that he would leave everything for us. That's not what the Pharisees were hearing. In the context, they're struggling because the one lost sheep. The Old Testament describes the people of God as God's sheep and He is a good shepherd who will shepherd us into still waters and pastures and peace. Look, that one sheep is causing all of us trouble. Do you know what you do with a troublesome sheep? You eat it. You let it die. And the rest will be better off. Jesus says, no, no, no. Which one of you would not just go after this sheep and leave the others behind? And right off the bat, they're a little offended, like, wait, Jesus, you mean to say that we and our righteousness, getting everything right, doing all this hard work, we are not enough for you? That you would go after that one too? I don't know that I like that, Jesus. It says that when this one sheep is found, he rejoices. And he brings it back saying, look, I have found my sheep. And then he continues with his second parable. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus tells a second parable about a woman who has approximately 10 days worth of, of wages and she loses one singular coin. She still has plenty more. Who among us hasn't lost a few bucks here and there? 
In fact, if you walk the streets before church, I promise you'll find change. When we pick up trash, we joke that it's my retirement fund. She, find, she loses one singular piece of silver. And in Luke, Luke often, anytime he's trying to convey something really important, Luke almost always conveys something really important with a story that happens, followed by a similar story happening to or with a woman. So the fact that Jesus tells this parable with a woman in the center of it is an important thing to note. Look, if she loses one coin, she seeks diligently. She does everything she can to find that one singular coin. Forget the fact that she still has plenty. She's not enough without all of them. It's not okay for one to be lost. And when she finds it, she doesn't just tuck it away and, and put it back with all the other coins. It's like, cool, now I can go to bed. No, she goes and she gets her friends and her neighbors and says, rejoice, I've found my money that I had lost. Isn't this exciting? Well, if you're the lost coin, Sure. But what if you're not the lost one? What if you're not the one who's confused and astray? What if you have everything together? Who cares about that one? What about me? She finds this coin and it says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. To the people who are hearing this message, they have angrily believed that these sinners, even just one, were the reason that God was delayed. If only you would get it together, we'd finally get what's coming to us. We'd finally have our hope fulfilled, the peace we long for, the life we desperately desire. If only, but you keep on sinning. And now Jesus has told two very significant stories about the one that is gone, that is more important and worth everything to find than those that were there. And he tells a third parable, one that you're probably even more familiar with. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, just a little bit of inheritance law for you in the Old Testament. The firstborn was due a double portion of what all the rest would receive. So in this case, this father would divide all of his wealth by three, and his youngest would get a third, and his oldest would get two-thirds. But it only happened after death. And this younger son comes to the father and says, give me what I'm owed. Essentially, he says, I wish you were dead. My life would be better with the things you can give me than with you in it. For the average Jewish hearer, this right here would be great blasphemy. If you remember the fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father that it may go well with you. How will it ever go well in the land if you treat your father with this kind of disrespect? He should come down with a heavy hand and all kinds of judgment upon such a horrible son. The father divides the property. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, 
and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Again, a good Jewish audience would so far go, that's what he deserves. Because as you know, pigs are the worst of animals. They are unclean and unholy, and we're not even permitted to be in God's holy land. Yeah, that's what such a man deserves. That he would long to eat with the pigs and he would not even get that. Scum. The worst of these. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. At this point in the story, any Jewish hearer would find themselves irate. First and foremost, a man of honor never runs because in running, wearing a robe, you might expose yourself. And that's the greatest of humiliations. How dare this father run, especially to such a sinner? Embraced him and kissed him, a sign of honor and respect, welcome and hospitality, a sign of inclusion in the family. How dare this father do just that? Don't you know how bad this son is? And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, I love the word but in the English language, not just because I'm a middle school boy at heart, But I love that word along with however and although and similar words. Because a wise pastor once told me that when you're speaking and you use a word like but, everything before it is just crap. Think about that. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but the father does something different anyway. Or imagine if you were to use that, right? I love you, but you drive me nuts all the time. What you really mean to say is, you drive me nuts all the time, and it's really hard to love you. When we use words like but, we negate everything that came before it. The son comes guilty and ashamed, convicted. I'm not worthy to even be your servant. But... The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Imagine now, as a Jewish hearer of this parable, the frustration and the hurt 
Don't you know that this man's sins were completely against all of the law of God? This man is the reason we continue for 400 years to wait and to wait and to wait. Don't you know what he has done? How often are we like that as well? Don't you know what I deserve? What this person has done against me? How terrible they are? How bad they are? They really don't deserve anything. But the Father celebrates them. The Father tells everybody, let's throw a party for my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And they all celebrate. But Jesus isn't finished with his parable yet. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In a culture in which the people of God have become angry and irritated at the problems caused by those sinners. When Jesus is hanging out with the worst of the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners, he's there with them. And the religious leaders are mad. Jesus tells these three stories. These stories of a God who radically rejoices in those who are lost. And a God who celebrates those who were once far off and have now been brought near. A God who longs with everything in Him to see those who are far return, who's waiting not for us to come to Him, but looking and running after and pursuing us to say, welcome home. Receive this robe and this ring and this love that I have for you. As we talk about a King who's coming, we now are in a place of waiting much longer than those 400 years that the Pharisees waited. For 2,000 years we have waited. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In fact, the Bible ends with these words, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. For 2,000 years we have waited as the world has fallen apart. You don't have to look very far to see evil running rampant, to see pain and sorrow and sickness and death, and to wonder, God, where are you? And yet our Advent hope is a God who left his throne and came running after us, 
who came running after us that we might be found. It says in 2 Peter that the reason for his delay is so that those who are sinners may repent, may be brought near. All of this waiting and this patience and this struggle and the frustration that comes with it is because our God is incredibly gracious and He longs that no one should perish, but that every single one of us would be welcomed there at the table to this great feast. This great feast that celebrates not the fattened calf, but His very Son who was killed, that we could be made right. So this Advent season, we learn to rejoice. We rejoice in our sorrow. We rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in whatever today may bring. Because we know we have a Father in Heaven who is rejoicing with us. That when we were lost, He found us. When we were dead in our sins, He made us alive. And so we can face all of our enemies, all of our hurt, all of our impatient waiting. And we can do so with joy. God, You rejoice in me. Help me in turn to rejoice in You. I recently read in a book something I thought was quite profound. Joy is being in the presence of people who love you. Think about that for a moment. Joy is being in the presence of people who love you. When you and I see the magnitude with which God rejoices over us, not because we love Him well, but because His love for us is enough even when we don't love ourselves. When He celebrates you and me, whatever we may face tomorrow, all the people who may or may not love us well, we can rejoice because we get to be in the presence of one who loves us always, even when we are sinners and far from him, even when we long to eat the food given to pigs, when we have lost all of our way and don't know where to go, when our strength is gone, and like a sheep we need him to pick us up and carry us back home. We are in the presence of one who loves us, and rejoices over us constantly. So this Advent season, it's my hope and my prayer that you would be filled with joy because you have a God, a Father who loves you dearly and He rejoices over you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Joy is being in the presence of one who loves us. You have promised to be with us always to the end of the age. You rejoice when we are lost and then found. You rejoice in our repentance when we turn back to you, to your faithfulness and to your goodness, to the love that you freely pour out 
We come before You guilty and sinful. We are not worthy to be Your son and Your daughter. But You celebrate us anyway. Fill us with hope as we patiently wait. Fill us with hope that Your love is enough that You will return when the time is right. That none shall perish, but find life in You. God, now we pray together as You taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If we as a church closed our doors tomorrow, who in our community would miss us? Who would fight for us to reopen? Last week, I told you I was going to share this with you, and I'd locked it in my office on accident. We received this two weeks ago in the mail. It's from Raising a Voice. Thank you all so much for letting us use your space again to host our Friendsgiving. We had the most fun sharing our Thanksgiving meal together and being kids again, making a little turkey craft, as you can see in the picture. All of our women loved it, and we want you all to know you are a huge part in helping us foster community and create sweet memories. Raising a Voice works with women who are vulnerable and likely to end up on the street and helps them find their voice and get back on their feet. And because of your generosity and the way in which you give, we get to partner with them and open up our space for them. As we move out of this building, possibly, as we look for a long-term home in the next couple of years, wherever we end up and whatever we do, I know for certain we will continue to seek every opportunity possible to use all the space God gives to us to bless raising a voice and hopefully so many more organizations doing wonderful things in our community. As we come near the end of the year with just three weeks left, really almost two weeks left, I think, two weeks from today is New Year's Eve, just heads up. Uh, as we draw near to the end of the year, we continue with our Cultivate Community initiative. If you weren't here with us the last few weeks as we talked about this, we are beginning the process of looking for a long-term home. Maybe if our landlord changes his mind, it could be here and maybe it will be someplace else. But to help us to do that, we're seeking to raise $50,000 above and beyond our normal offering between now and the end of the year. If you got Emily's email earlier this week, I think so far we've raised uh, about 11500 which is a really great start, so we're well on our way. If you would like to be a part of helping us not only reach our goal, but continue to serve a raising a voice and other organizations in town, if you want to help us serve our city in a big way, you can do so by making a special gift to Cultivate Community. You can do so with cash or check in the envelopes and by placing them in the black boxes as you exit today. If you filled out one of those teal cards that says connect on top, you can place that in the box as well so we can be praying with you or connecting with you throughout the week. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online and you'd like to make a special gift 
to cultivate community online. You can do so by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Uh, Whatever you give and however you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. In case you're unaware, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. So all that she was just talking about is next week, which means there's still time to go shopping and there's still time for Amazon to deliver those packages, okay? But not much time. Next week at the 11 o'clock service, we will be doing the traditional uh, candlelight service and uh, it'll be really special. I'm excited. I want to encourage you to join us for that at 11 p.m., which means it is possible to come to church at 1030 and then come back in the evening at 11. I plan on doing that and I'd love to see you there too, all right? I was speaking with somebody before we get into questions and answers. I was speaking with somebody earlier this week about uh, candlelight services and how it's my favorite service. And she attends another church and she said that last year at the candlelight service, the pastor's daughter caught her hair on fire and they happened to take a picture right at that moment as everybody around her was like, panicked. So we're gonna try not to have that happen here this year, all right? But you should join us just in case. You never know. It could be fun. that photo on like some of our social media though? Yeah, absolutely. So Jay, every week we invite questions and I do my best to respond. Will you come on over here a little closer to the light? Um, What questions came in today? All right, we have three questions so far here. So the first one is, some people treat the Bible as a rule book, some as history, some as myth. What would you say is the best way to think about the Bible in today's world? The Bible is living and active. It is a story revealing Jesus. And so within that, there are rules. Some of those rules are for all time, as in it simply is this way that when you do these things, it goes well. Like, try it. Honor your mother and father, and I promise you it will at some point go well for you. It just is that way. Um, Other rules in there are specific for a season and for a time and for a culture. And, And so it is also history. It's a whole host of things, but it's not about you and I learning to become really good people. Because the spoiler is, we're still going to be terrible at that. No, the whole book is about you and I discovering who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we live in response to the things he's done. So that's how I would encourage you to read it. Jesus, where are you in the words I'm reading? And the next question is, why do we celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas? It actually stems from the pagan winter solstice festival, so I think the Catholic Church made a Christmas celebration then instead, or Jesus celebration then instead. And uh, rather his birthday is in the fall. Do we do it more as a symbolic thing? We do it as a symbolic thing. However, um, the idea that it's entirely a pagan celebration of the sun god is a myth, actually. That was a thing, but that's not the reason for the 25th. In fact, that would have concluded on the 23rd. So if we were following that practice, we would have already been done. The reason is a really profound theological best guess science. Based on the stars and all the things when they think Jesus would have been born, based on when they knew for sure he died, some believed that he died on the same day that he was conceived. And so if you do a little bit of math in order for that to happen, December. Now, some say it's not December 25th. Some say it's actually a week later. So there are some Christians around the world who don't celebrate Christmas on the 25th. Uh, But that's irrelevant. 
Because ultimately, I was not there when he was born. I don't know what day it was or what time it was, and none of us really do. The idea is that we celebrate, that we mark a season set apart to look forward to his first coming so that we can be reminded of his second, that he will return again, and it's worth celebrating. The next one is a question on some of the uh, scripture from today, Luke 15, uh, 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Is that a statement to, that the younger son, while repentant and welcome home, will not receive a second inheritance? I have no idea. I think it's more a statement of the religious Jewish leaders who are angry at the sinners who continue to sin the older brother who was always with God. They had his blessing and his promise even in the midst of their turmoil. And yet they were angry because they felt God had abandoned or neglected them. And now Jesus was eating with sinners. How dare he? So maybe, uh, but most of the parables are stories that are made up to teach something that we need to know. And most of them are highly offensive. So it would certainly be offensive if he got yet another inheritance. That would make sense. And we did have one more uh, statement come in here. Uh, it says, I was in Times Square yesterday and saw an advertisement that said Jesus' family was messy too. Not exactly sure what it was advertising. However, it's a reassurance that it's okay not to be okay. It's probably with the same people who do the He Gets Us campaign um, where they talk about Jesus as a refugee and, and all, a whole host of other things. Um, Jesus' family was certainly messy. I mean, he spent the first two years of his life on the run. Uh, that's not true. The first, like, three years after that. So uh, he was born in a manger. That's not that pleasant. Uh, to a mom who was not married to his dad. Just saying. I mean, yeah, it's certainly messy. And that is it. I just refreshed and do not see any more. Uh, I've got one other that was texted to me this week. Okay. All right. Jay. Here you go. This wasn't part of the deal. Mary, did you know? <laughs> I think if you listen knew. to that song, let me tell you. No, yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Yes, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, no, no. There you go. Now you know if she knew or not. All right? <laughs> That's great. Well, every week you can text in your questions and I'll do my best to respond. You can send them in even during the middle of the week and I'll find them either next week or midweek and respond to them online. As you go today, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.